This is Brian Bigler, and you're listening to the Bladeology Podcast. Like we do every week, welcome to another episode of the Bladeology podcast. We are on this week with a modified host lineup, and we're on with a guest. This is the vocal representation of Jeremiah Burbank from PVK Vegas. Nick Chuprin of NCC Knives. Chuck Gedritis of Gedritis Knives. Awesome, and we've got Michael Fagnino on tonight. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Thank thank you so much for taking time to sit down with us tonight. Uh we're going to we're going to go over your your history as a as a maker, as a switchblade artist, as a master smith and uh and some recent projects you've been working on, which are which are pretty exciting actually. Um so let's let's do it. Let's jump into it. Let's not waste any time. How did you ever get tied up in this crazy industry? How did you become a knife maker? How did you get into knives? Yeah. Well, I'll- I'll try to shorten the story just a bit, but, uh, uh, in 90, uh, the Christmas of 95, my, my wife is from, uh, Denver and, uh, we go back there every other year to spend Christmas with her family. And so the Christmas of 95, we were back there and her brother was there and he pulls out this knife and he shows it to me and it was nothing. It was a little nothing hunter. Uh, G10 scales, you know, blade and a sheath. And he goes, how much you pay? For, how much do you think I paid for this? I go, I don't know. I'm thinking Kmart, 15, 20 bucks. And he goes, nope, 150 bucks. And I said, are you crazy? And he goes, no, but it was handmade. He goes, I went to the guy's shop that built this and watched him make it. He goes, we need to do this. We can make a lot of money. <laughs> I go, really? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> that that kind of put the hook in my put my hook in put the hook in my mouth. I said, yeah, okie dokie. So anyway, uh, we lined up. He goes, I back up a little bit. He goes, but we can't. You know, we just can't cut these out of steel and grind them and whatever. He goes, we got to forge them so that they're you know he man <laughs> they're made the old way. And I go, yeah, sure, okay. So I lined up a forging class for us uh, with a guy by the name of Carl Sharon out of Sebastopol, California, third-generation blacksmith. Uh, anyway, and, and that was in May of 95, I believe. Anyway, it turned out that I ended up taking the class by myself. Uh, I spent three days with Carl, uh, and he taught me how to forge a blade out of A2. He goes, this is really a hard steel to to forge, but he goes, I thought I'd start you off that way and make life easier for you down the road. And I go, yeah, what? I didn't know anything. I said, sure. So anyway, I left there in, in three days with a knife, sheath. Uh, I still have that knife. It still looks just like the day I I forged it and made it. Anyway, I fell in love with it. I, I go, holy moly, this is, this is way cool. So I came home. Uh, I didn't have any equipment, none at all. So I built my first first anvil was out of a railroad tie, uh, ground used it for my anvil. Made a coal forge uh, with a hair dryer for a blower. Oh, there you go. I know. 
Yeah, that worked good. <laughs> so <laughs> really well. Anyway, so that was the very beginning. And then as I went along, and I poor Carl, I, I feel bad for him. I called him probably every day for, I don't know, months <laughs> just to go back over what he taught me and, and, you know, what do I do next? And this is where I am and that kind of stuff. So the first year was, man, a big learning, a big learning curve. Um, and I don't remember the month, uh, but uh, my wife, Marcy, and I had never been to a knife show. Uh, and we went to a show in Solvang just to see Solvang, California. And at that time, I mean, it was all the top makers in the U.S. that went to that, a couple from overseas. And it was like, I, I mean, I walked around with my mouth hanging open. I would never seen anything like this in my life. I mean, you know, if you wanted a knife, you went to Kmart or Walmart or Western Auto or whatever and picked up a $25 hunting knife. I mean, this, it was like, it was amazing. I mean, it was just, I was aghast at, at what I was looking at. So when you're, when you're saying so, the Solvang show, you're, you're talking about the Art Knife Invitational. Well, it was, no, it was the Solvang. Well, Back then. Back then you were invited to that show, but they didn't call it the Art Knife Invitational. It was the Solvang Show, but you had to be invited to go to the show. It was, you know. Uh, anyway, that I, I walked by Tim Hancock's table. Uh, and I'm looking at his knives. And my wife, Marcy, was dragging me away from everybody's tables because I started asking them questions because I, I, I wanted to know. And she goes, you leave them alone. They're at a show. They're trying to sell their knives. You know, this is their business. You can't be bothering them like this. So anyway, I stopped at Hancock's table, and I'm looking at his knives. And, and I'm just looking at him. I didn't say anything to him or anything, but I just was looking at him. He said, you know, you can pick them up if you want. It's okay. And so I did, and I kept. Anyway, he must have seen something or felt something or whatever. And he goes, are, 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 do you make knives? I said, no, I took a class, but I, 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 I want to go down this road. I, I want to do this. And he goes, I teach. And I go, really? And uh, he goes, yeah. I said, where are you? And he goes, I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I said, huh, that's interesting. Uh, he, goes, he goes, if you take a class from me, he goes, I will lessen your learning curve by three years. I go, really? He goes, yeah. I go, anyway, another long story short. I, I started seeing Tim. Uh, I went to him probably for three and a half, almost four years, probably twice a year. There was one year I went there three times because uh, it wasn't cheap. I mean, he charged me. I was just like anybody else. And uh, I was farming at the time, and money was tight. And so I'd save my money, go to Tim. And holy moly, it was like, I can remember the first, the very first time that I went to see him. Uh, it was in June, first part of June. And I'm in Central Valley, California. And the first part of June, it might get into the low 90s. You know, it's nothing bad. I went there the June 6th, I believe it was. And he goes, we'll do a little foraging and then we'll get into, you know, beating out a knife or whatever, blah, blah, blah. It was 106 there at night at like six o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning. 
and he gets me into his little forging room that was no bigger than two closets. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> and by 10 o'clock, I'm going, I can't take this anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, it might have to have been 140 degrees in this room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he's in there just a smiling, and this is what you do, and this is what you don't do. <laughs> going, holy crap. This is nuts. <laughs> like my I'm rethinking, do I want to do this or not? You know? You and so anyway, environment. oh man, it was something else. Uh, I'll never forget that. I, I can't, I've, I don't think I've ever been that hot in my life since. You don't so realize anyway, he starts to adapt to the shop until you get. Oh man. Like, this is, it this was is something. Yeah, it was something else. Uh, so I don't know. It's probably like 1030 or it was short, short of going to lunch, but he says, okay, let's take a break, cool down. We'll go get something to eat. We'll come back and we'll spend time in the clean shop. And so we did that for, uh, the rest of the day, came back the next day, uh, spent another half a day with him, uh, went to lunch, uh, probably left his shop around three thirty four in the afternoon. I'd rented a motel room. I couldn't sleep that night. I was scheduled to be there for three days and I couldn't sleep that night. I had so much stuff going around in my head. I mean, it was incredible what he was telling me and teaching me. So I, I went there the third day in the morning. I got there around eight o'clock and I told Tim, I said, I got to go. He goes, you go where? I said, I'm going to go home. He goes, what's the matter? Are you okay? I go, yeah, I'm fine. He goes, is this something that I did? I, well, yeah, kind of in a roundabout way. I said, you've told me so much. I, I said, I can't process everything you've told me. I can't put anything more in my head. I just can't do this. I mean, I can't do this right now. <laughs> he he kind of looked at me and shook his head. I said, I'm sorry, Tim. But I said, I, I, you know, it's like I couldn't sleep last night. So I went home. You know, the funny thing, just a, a little side note here. He had told me um, in our conversations, he goes, there's going to be things that I show you and tell you that you might not be able to process right now just because it doesn't connect. You have nothing to connect with it. He goes, but a month from now, six months from now, a year from now, he goes, you're going to think of that and it's going to make sense to you. And damned if he wasn't right. I mean, I can remember sitting on my bench at my home. I don't know how many months later and I'm working on a knife and I'm fitting a guard or whatever the hell I was doing. I go, holy shit. That's what he was talking about. You know, it was, I tell you what, those three years with Tim was something else. I mean, I'll never, never forget those three years. He was a good friend of me. I'm kind of breaking up over him because we just lost him a couple of years ago. But oh, anyway, anyway, that was my start. Uh, wow. And then about probably, I don't know, a year I'm trying to think of when I did my first knife show. First knife show, all I brought was kitchen knives because I do most of the cooking at home. I love cooking. And so I thought, well, sure, what the shit? If I'm going to do cooking, I might as well make kitchen knives. I'm telling you what, <laughs> they were something else. But anyway, but that's, that's what I did for the first, I don't know, show or so. And then I ran into, it was the, it wasn't the last show, but was real close to the last San Jose show in California. And, uh, <clears throat> I met D.B. Fraley. He was sitting at his table. All he had was folding knives. And I love mechanical things. I mean, I was working on the ranch, working on the farm. I mean, I grew, I grew up working in um, manufacturing companies. And I gravitated to the mechanical parts. I just love mechanics. Anyway, so I'm, I'm 
I go up and introduce myself to Derek and uh, tell him that, hey, I'm, I'm new into this. You know, I've been making knives for a year and a half or whatever the hell it is. And, and I've always wanted, I said, I love pocket knives, but I, I don't know where to start, what to do, whatever. And I just, he goes, yeah, not a problem. He goes, I learned from Stan Fujisaka. Uh, he goes, because I was from Hawaii. I'm now here in uh, Dixon, California. But he goes, I tell you what I'll do. He goes, I'll write out. He goes, I'll draw a little diagram for a knife for you. I'll send you the screws, uh, tell you the taps to buy, blah, blah, blah. And that'll be, you know, that'll be your, you know, you make that, that'll be your first liner lock. Hmm. I go, cool. So he did. I mean, I, boy, if I showed you that knife now, <laughs> I still have it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe. I look at it, I go, you got to be kidding me. You're saying it was kind of rough? This? Oh, man, it was beyond rough. <laughs> it was something else. <laughs> so, uh, but I became really good friends with Derek, and he helped me over the next, I don't know, year. You know, okay, Derek, this is, what do I do here? You know, this is the problem I'm running to. And so every show that I went to, uh, I would pick everybody's brains. I, I'm sure I made a menace of myself. Um, I didn't really go to, uh, I'm just trying to think here. I, I didn't take a liner lock class from anybody. I think over the next year, year and a half, uh, I kind of figured out how it's supposed to work, why it's supposed to do what it does. And that's, you know, and that's, that was my thrust in knife making. Everybody else was into the Damascus and the this and the that. And, the, and my whole intent and whole, I wanted to make a knife, and I still do. I want to make a knife that, do, that does what it's supposed to do. If it's a folder and if it's a specific kind of folder, it's supposed to do what it does. If it's a lock back, it's supposed to lock and be firm and blah, blah, blah. If it's a slip joint, it's got to walk and talk. If it's a liner lock, a lock back. Uh, switchblade, whatever. I mean, that's my focus when I'm making knives. The, the, how it looks is kind of like afterwards. Sometimes I even, sometimes I even get myself in trouble when I'm making this, when I'm making these, it's like, holy crap, what am I going to use for scales now? What am I going to do? You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm so intent on making the mechanism as opposed to anyway. No, I mean, that's I think one that's... of my little st- I think that's very legitimate. Worrying about the mechanics of something over necessarily, you know, just throwing some carbo cords on it. I, mean, I think that's totally reasonable. Mm-hmm. In fact, I had a conversation. I won't mention his name. Very, very, very. He's a master smith. He makes some awesome Damascus. And that was his whole thrust. And we were having a conversation. This is probably, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And we were talking about Damascus. We were talking about knives. And I told him, I said, you know, just like I said, my whole thing was about how a knife works and it does what it's supposed to do, whether it's a straight blade or a, or, or a folder. And I said, I never, I never got into Damascus. I make Damascus. I make it, you know, quite a bit. To me, it was always a surprise because I never wrote anything down. I kind of got the gist of where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. His Damascus, if you said, well, I really like that pattern. Uh, will you make me one like that? He goes, well, yeah. And he knows in his head how he made that pattern, and he'll remake it, and it'll be just like it was. I can't do that. 
I don't care to do that. I don't want to do that. I'm not a, I, you know, I don't make Damascus to sell. I just make Damascus because it's what everybody sometimes wants on their blades or their bolsters or whatever. But I, it, and he, and he, as we were talking, he goes, you know, in a, in a way, in a sense, he goes, I wish I would have gone down your road. I go, really? He goes, yeah, you make a really nice knife. And, and he goes, I know at times, you know, mine's a little sketchy. <laughs> so whatever, I, I guess, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say here other than just the point of that's my whole thrust always has been probably all will always will be is how the thing is works and how, and it does what it's supposed to do. Function and mechanics are extremely important. And that's, yeah, I think that's, that's top of the pinnacle when it comes to mechanical things. I mean, Certainly when it comes to a straight knife as well, you, you don't want it to, to malfunction, but definitely something that folds or, or has mechanics, that's that's a key part um, mm-hmm. to the operation. So just, just out of curiosity, what what year roughly did you get involved with D.B. Fraley at that at, at knife show? Just to, just to give uh, us a... Let's see. I took the forging class from Schroen in May of 95. Uh, I jacked around for a year trying to figure out how to do things. 96. I'm kind of thinking it was 97 that I went to the San Jose show. It was, I'm trying to think. Yes, that was my first show. My second show was Blade West that same year. But that was my first show. So that must have been, I see, 95. It was either the tail end of 96 or 97, somewhere around there, uh, because it was at the Blade West show. Um, and this is ha- ha- after I'd been to so- Solvang and whatever. But it was, uh, and, and and when Tim talked to me, told me about teaching and all that stuff, and I, yeah, okay, whatever. But I, he was at the Blade West show in 90, I think it was 97, 97, let's see, 97, 98, 99. 98, 99, 2000, must've been 98. I saw him again at the Blade West show. And I told him that I joined the ABS. Um, and I asked him a question. I said, should I take, uh, the ABS class to knock a year off of my three year wait to test for journeyman, or I've saved my money. Should I get a power hammer? And he goes, get the power hammer. He goes, you get a power hammer. I'll teach you how to make Damascus and we'll work on knives. And believe me, it'll be a lot. (laughs) You'll be a lot happier in the long run. And so I did. It was because of him. I bought the hammer. uh, And that's when I started in 98. That's right. That's when I started seeing him. Uh, The end of 97, because I got my journeyman in 201 and I got my master's in 203, both of them uh, through Hancock. So. So then I met Dave, uh, DB, uh, DB, uh, Derek uh, in 90, it had to have been 97, I'm thinking, uh, uh, at the San Jose show. I can remember the table he's sitting at. I can see him sitting there. It's crazy, huh? But anyway, because I took, uh, for my journeyman in 2001, I took, uh, at that time, they allowed, uh, they allowed journeymans, they don't anymore, to take two folders and three fixed blades. I took a lock back and I took a, a liner lock. Uh, I passed. Um, uh, Ron Newton came up to me the next day at my table and he goes, The knives were really nice. I really like the lock back. He goes, That liner lock's just a little iffy. I go, Really? 
This was like, no, think, think about it. This was like, this was in 2001. And I was using, at, I can remember, at that time I was using 50,000 titanium for my liners, which is way thin. I wouldn't do that again for a heartbeat. But anyway, he goes, there's a little bit of rock lock in it. He didn't call it rock lock. He called it blade, blade movement in the open position. I go, really? He goes, yeah. He took the, I had it still on my table. He picked it up. He opened it. And he goes, see, feel that? And I go, yeah, you're right. Something I, I just blew right by me when I was making the knife. I didn't even think about testing that. I knew it locked and it didn't close when it, you know, it stayed locked and that was that. So yeah, it was kind of cool. So anyway, I don't know why I'm telling you that other than I thought it was kind of, you know, that he came up to me and, and yeah. said, you know, details are important. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And ever since then, it's one of the things I check first off. <laughs> right. See, there you go. So a liner lock, a lock back and some straight knives. Now did any, so you didn't have the power hammer. So none of those had Damascus at the time. No, no, no. Couldn't bring any Damascus. <clears throat> Couldn't have any Damascus on your knives. Couldn't have any Damascus uh, anything. Mm. I mean, it just because they wanted to, they were looking for fit and finish. Right. And, and the flow of the knife. That's what a journeyman smith is about. Okay. How well it's put together, how well the grinds are from side to side, uh, you know, the finish of the blade. I, you know, I, uh, I journey, I, I juried, I was one of the, the judges. For journeyman for probably I don't know four or five years, and then I was a judge for masters probably for three or four years, something like that. And um, when I was judging knives, I mean that's the only thing I looked at on a journeyman was how well the finish was on the blade, how was the grind side to side, and the and and the and the fit and the finish of the handle, and how well you know there was no gaps, there was no bulges, there was no handle sticking up higher than the spine or whatever and and was the tang straight then when you go to the masters it's totally different i mean it's like everything's got everything's got to be spot on there's nothing wrong with these knives as you know as well as i mean nothing in this world's perfect uh, we all know that but on on the master level no questions it's got to be spot yeah, on yeah i mean there might be a little glitch here or a little glitch there and you're going yeah okay but the overall you know it's like instead of being a a, a 99% knife it might be a 97% knife every now and then you'll see a 99.5 knife i've never seen a 100% knife hmm ever okay i've seen some really really cool ones but you can always find something, something. Yeah, something. And something that maybe you won't see, uh, anybody else will see, but you've been doing it for so damn long, you can pick it up and look at it and see it. You know, it's like, but that doesn't count. You know, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't count, I don't think. I mean, it's, yeah. The overall concept of the knife, how it looks, I think, you know, and, and you got to think in terms, I'm trying to think of who the hell it was. Um was it a show? Was it another Master Smith's table where we're just shooting a breeze, just waiting for people to come by? And a guy came by, a, a, a customer. This was at the Blade Show in Atlanta. And I'll never forget this. <laughs> I'm not going to mention the Master's name because I don't want to get him in trouble because <laughs> he was kind of a dick, I thought. But anyway, this guy walks by, and he's looking at his knives. He's like, oh, that's cool. Oh, these are cool. And I'm kind of standing back out of his way. And uh, he goes, do you mind if I pick that knife up and look at it? And he goes, yeah, yeah, sure, go ahead. Before he picks it up, he puts his, he puts his Optivisor on. And the, <laughs> and the Master Smith goes, hold on. 
He goes, you ain't going to look at that with that master with that uh, optimizer. He goes, really? Why? He goes, I don't make them with an optimizer. You ain't going to look at them with an optimizer. <laughs> and the guy just turned around and walked away. Oh, <laughs> go, wow. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> okay. I, don't make I mean, like you know, I'm not going to look at them like that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't make it with it. You ain't going to look at it with it. So, <laughs> Huh. I mean, I can understand where he's coming from, but Jesus Christ, you're trying to sell your knives or what? I mean, <laughs> sure. You got to have a little, little, little bit of leeway there if a customer wants yeah, to look for sure. a little bit closer. <laughs> yep. Wow. Okay. Those, mm. no, that might have been different times. I don't know that I've seen someone do that at a show recently, but that I don't hang out in the Forge section. Well, too much, I, I'll so. tell a little story on me, and it still goes around. In fact, some of my buddies that were there will every now and then bring it up. Um, this was at. Um, wasn't the San Jose show. It was the other San Francisco show. What the hell they call that? Well, that was one of my most favorite shows. It was awesome. Um, anyway, I had this client, uh, that he'd bought a couple of knives from me and, uh, I was making a particular, uh, folder at the time. I'd made several of them and I had, I don't know, two or three of them on my table. And he came by, said, hi, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting around. I mean, uh, two or three of my buddies were, I got one behind me, one to the next to me. We're all kind of sitting together at the show. So he picks up this knife and he goes, I want you to make one just like this. But he goes, I want to use these for scales. I go, okay, not a problem. And he goes, I want a Damascus blade. I go, yeah, no, not a problem. He goes, and I want nickel silver for the bolsters. I said, ain't going to happen. He goes, what? I said, I, I refuse to make a knife with nickel silver bolsters. He goes, really? He goes, why? I go, because I'm going to get it so it's perfect. And the second you pick it up, it's going to have a scratch in it, and I'm not going to do that. He goes, I don't think I ever sold him another knife. I don't know if I insulted him or what. But, I mean, there's just kind of, some kind of things you got to draw a line to. I, I don't know if you guys have ever dealt with or or – picked up a knife out of nickel silver. I mean, you can get it so you can, you can shave. That's so shiny. It looks like a mirror and you look at it sideways and it scratches. So why do that? I mean, right. but anyway, that's it's a little soft. story. On it'll, me. it'll, it'll scratch. I, I've, Oh I've man, scratch. Yeah. That. Yep. 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 Like <laughs> don't go down will, that road. People will hold a stainless steel frame knife, a polished stainless steel frame knife, and they'll put it down on like a desk surface that is otherwise clean and it's just a cringe. And, and same thing with the guys at the shop. Like, don't put knives like that. Don't put any raw metal on a surface because, like, there's microscopic pieces of dust or, like, a pebble that you can't even conceptualize. And it's going to scratch the silver. It's going to scratch yep. the stainless, the brass. <clears throat> You're going to pick that knife up and look at it, and it's going to have a little snail trail on it. Yeah, we go, where the hell did that come from? Yeah, like, oh, I, I wiped that surface <clears throat> down. Like, dude, it's it'll just scratch. Like, the world's against it. In fact... When I, I'm not making near as many custom knives as I have because I've got a couple of other things going on that we'll get into later. But when I was at the height of what I was doing, that I think anyway, my I mean, I could pick up stuff that a normal person would go, how do you pick that up? It's so damn hot. But I, my, I had calluses on all of my fingertips. I mean, it was like, and they were, they were rough calluses. And if I wasn't careful, I would be scratching the knives that I was hand rubbing. If I'd pick it up and, you know, I just not thinking instead of getting a clean rag to dust it off or to see it and just take my finger and wipe it down. I can see, I mean, it'll leave a track, like you say, like a little worm track. I mean, that it doesn't take much. 
Yeah, it doesn't take much. It took me a really while to doesn't. figure out the calluses will scratch us in, bless the finish. Oh, man, just in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, really. I go, yeah. oh, where I mean, the hell that, that comes also, who's been in, I go, who's the hell's game. been in my shop? <laughs> it's like, yeah. holy shit. That's also a fun game to play in my shop. So my dad works with me, and he, he's been working for about a year, but he still doesn't have that, that uh, I guess, the, the, the heat tolerance, because he's uh-huh. grind blades. He does all the finishing work. But my favorite thing is, like, I'll just grind off like a tab off of some titanium and, and like I'm I'm holding it fine, so he gets the impression that it's not hot. Just pass to him <laughs> and thing goes flying across the shop. But it's things that I know that don't matter if they're scratched because they're early in the process. I'll just pass yeah, it to yeah. him, he grabs them and they go flying. Yeah, like, absolutely. How do you hold that? I'm like, I've been grinding yeah, for absolutely. ten years. It kind of yep, your hands will Absolutely. Numb. Yep, yep. You don't even know those <laughs> nerves down there, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, it was like Yeah, it's like the tips of your fingers. I, I don't know if we just what happens is the nerves get burnt off or dead or whatever. But it was like, I could pick up plates out of the oven and not hardly even feel it. I mean, it was like crazy. Mm. I can't do that now because those calluses are not nearly as what they were. But It's part of the superpowers of being a knife maker. Absolutely. Say that? All right. <laughs> um, so Nickel Silver, we're at the Blade Show. That guy, he didn't get that Nickel Silver bolster. That's all right. He'll live. There'll be some other yeah, maker that will we'll make it he'll for live. him. And I still see him from time to time at the shows, and we're still hmm. friends. Well, there you go. So no hard <laughs> he, feelings. That's... I don't think he never ordered another knife from me. <laughs> hmm. And my buddies, they were, they're going, after he left, they're going, you got to be shit. Why would you? <laughs> and, you know, the whole thing. They couldn't believe I did that. I said, look, it, you ever work with that shit? It's, I mean, it's crazy. I'm not going to spend the time doing that. And yeah, whatever. Yeah. But, hmm. um, talk about autos for a minute. Sure. Um, yeah, how, I, how'd you get into that? I like, you know, you know, <laughs> I like telling stories on me just so I, everybody knows that I'm just normal like everybody else. Maybe <laughs> anyway, so, oh man, what year was this? This was at the, oh crap. I'm trying to remember what show it was at. Anyway, I came up, I drew up a knife that I, I still make today. It's called the P-38, and I named it after my dad because he flew, flew P-38s during World War II in the Pacific, and the the front of the knife looked like the nozzle of a P-38. I mean, I just popped into my head one day. I said, that's what I'm going to call it. Anyway, so <clears throat> I made that uh, as a uh, just as a liner lock. I go, this is pretty cool. I mean, I like it. Uh, I liked the way it turned out. I liked the, the size of it. It was, you know, I just liked it. So I was at the Blade West show, and this was in oh, 2000. That was a year before I went for my journeyman. And I met Larry Chu there. Uh, Larry Chu had all his switchblades out on his table. And I mean, I'm telling you what. I love switchblades. I mean, I love switchblades. I can't tell you how much I love switchblades. But anyway, he had all his autos on his table. And I, and I introduced myself, and I said, hey, I'm sitting over there, and blah, blah, blah. And we got to talking and showing me his knives and yakety yakking. And I'm going, I go, how are you doing all this? I mean, how, how are you doing this? How's it work? And he goes, well, you know, I have this stuff water jet out and then i 
have a mill and I, you know, I got a CAD program. They're going, and it's like, I knew what he was talking about, but not really. I knew what he's talking about. And it's like, okay, okay. I'm thinking to myself, I ain't going to ever make an auto. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, I showed him my P38. He goes, that's a cool knife. And I go, yeah. He goes, do you think you could maybe turn that into a, an auto or something? And he goes, yeah, I don't know why not. So I gave him a knife. And he lived in Texas, took it home. I don't know how, how long it was afterwards. But anyway, he called me up. He goes, I got your CAD program uh, to get you, so you can get your parts cut. And I go, cool. And I'm going, now what? He goes, get your parts cut out. Uh, and he goes, I'll kind of walk you through it. So the first, I don't know, half a dozen of them, it was the big learning curve. But I finally got it figured out. And I made, I don't know, I made hundreds of them. I, literally, over the years, I've made hundreds of them. Um, and I'll always thank Larry for that, for his help and for, for what he did for me getting me started in that uh, and then learn and just understanding how a double action works and the different ways you can do it. And uh, when we get to talking about terrain later on, uh, because Jeremiah is, uh, well, you can tell everybody what we're doing <laughs> later, but anyway, uh, uh, I, I'm doing another run of P38s and it's a little bit different because the original P38s, uh, the back spacer was the spring and it was kind of a pain in the ass to build the knife. Um, it really was, but it was one hell of a spring. The only problem with it is periodically they would break. In fact, two years ago, uh, when Tim Hancock had passed away, we had a hammer in over at Travis's and, uh, Tim had left a lot of unfinished projects. So I went over there for the hammer in and Travis says, Hey, there's a P 38 here that you gave Tim a long time ago that he never got around to making. I go, yeah, I remember that. He wanted, he wanted to make one. So I gave him all the shit and the instructions. So he gave it back to me and I, and he goes, would you make that for his wife, Tammy? And I go, absolutely. So, uh, me and Eric Fleming at the, at the Ameren worked on it for a couple of days. And I told Eric, I said, I'll take it home and finish it at home, you know, and put our names on it. He goes, that yeah, cool. So I did. Uh, went back. That was for his, uh, that was for, not, it wasn't really a Ameren. It was a celebration of life kind of get together. And that was, I don't know. I don't know when it was, like in November, I think, December, something like that. Hmm. Travis's hammer is in March. So I went back in March with the finished knife to give to his wife, Tammy. <laughs> and I ain't going to mention her name, but I was driving out with a couple of other Smiths. <laughs> and she goes, what are you bringing? I said, well, I got this knife that, that I made for uh, Tammy Hancock that I'm going to give to her. And she goes, well, can I, can I see it? I go, yeah, it's, it's double. It's one of my P38s. So she's in the back seat. I'm riding in the front seat. She goes, oh, what do you, I said, yeah, just, you know, you can open the blade, but don't, don't fire it unless the blade's closed. Hmm. She goes, okay. So she fires it being, oh, that's cool. Close it. And I hear this click. I go, fuck. 
<laughs> she goes, oh, what did I do? <laughs> the spring broke. Uh, I go, eh, that shit happens. Don't worry about it. So anyway, I got there. Long story short again. Got there. said, I'm sorry. I'll take it home. I took it home and redid the spring, and it's still working. So that shit happens. So in the meantime, uh, Larry, I don't know how many years ago, decided that that really wasn't a good di- idea to do it that way anymore. So he ended up making a, a separate back bar and then a spring that fits under the back bar uh, that fires these things. And that's the way I'm making them now. And that's the way you're going to be getting them, Jeremiah. So (laughs) anyway, all right. Okay. Some development in the mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so I've made, you know, I've made my favorite auto is a scale release. I love scale releases. I mean, I just, I think they're so cool. They're just, you pick it up and it's a regular liner lock and you're going, in fact, four years ago, five years ago, at the USN show, I made one of my uh, side side swipes, is what I called it. And I'm sitting at the table. I got, a, I don't know, two or three of them out there. A guy comes by the table looking at my knives. He goes, can I pick that one up? And I go, sure. So he picks it up. It's Lander Lock. He's playing with it. He says, That's kind of cool. He puts it down, starts to walk away. And I go, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're missing what this thing's all about. And he comes back. And I fired. He goes, how the hell did you do that? So I closed and I showed him how it worked. He goes, home. He goes, I'm a cop. I'm an L.A. cop. He goes, I got to have that knife. I've never seen one like it. he bought it. <laughs> that was that. Bam. So, yeah. But you can't. Yeah, I mean, if you don't know what they are, sure, you don't. Yeah. It's it's a knife. I That's mean, the best part, man. People yeah, pick it up. It's and they're so just, cool. They, they're like looking at the knife. and They're like, I don't understand what you just did. Like, you're a magician. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah pretty much. Yeah. You yeah, got to know much. where it is. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> That's all. And you know what? Honestly, that that cop probably bought that and he's probably still collecting switchblades till this day. Easily. Well, I'm sure he is. I, uh, he's in fact, he's bought a couple of knives. Oh. I see him every now and then at the, either at the, um, California show or at the USN show. So nice. he's a nice guy. I like, we've become friends. So oh, good. yeah, nice right. guy. See, that's, that's ideal. That's, that's, you know, that, that goes a lot. You know, we talk about shows a lot on this podcast and how about going to shows and experiencing the show with makers, with customers, with friends, with family? That's so important. And that's exactly one of those moments is where you, you just, if you're standing at your table and you're talking to customers, you're going to make a friend, you're going to make a customer, you're going to, you know, introduce somebody to something that they maybe did not know before. And in that case, it was, you know, yeah, a hidden, absolutely. Action, a hidden action switchblade, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. Crucial. Well, the fun part of, about that is when you hand it to someone and they don't know how to open it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it. I, I don't know. You're a knife maker. I'm a knife maker. And it's like, you know, you hand it, no matter what the knife is, you hand it to somebody and you, and you see them having a hard time operating it, whether it's a frame lock, a liner lock, a flipper. Oh, man, I, flippers just kill me. I mean, I, you'll hand, I mean, it'd be like, it's like grease lightning. Some a guy come by the table, pick it up, and he can't flip it. I'm going, I go, wait, is it stuck or something? Let me see that knife. And I, it's like, fuck, this is firing perfect. <laughs> this, this is probably one of the best ones I ever made. <laughs> and I give it back to him, and I'm going, feel like you're flipping a light switch. And they, and it's like, I don't get it. I, I don't know if they have, I, I don't understand why people. I, I guess what I'm saying is, I don't understand why people can't flip a knife. I mean, I. It's just with a flipper tab. I don't yeah. get it. I mean, I just, I don't get it. I think it's just one of those things where it's, we think it's a natural action and 
it, it, I mean, for us it is, but for a lot of people it's not. I mean, you know, Nick, you're good at this. Nick's detents are like extremely hard, like terrifyingly mm-hmm. hard. And the first time I ever fired one, I was like, you know, my finger is like hurting and it just wasn't something I was used to. And I think pussy fingers, but right. it's a different, different problem. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. well, like certain makers just make extremely strong detents. And I think customers are just, they don't want to break it maybe or something. I don't know. I don't know. I it, Well, my dad, it took him about four months of full-time working with me. And mind you, the year and a half of like part-time like weekends. Mm-hmm. But it took like four months of full-time before he got it. And I think there's a hesitation is the problem. I think right when they think it's about to go, they let up on it or it's an angle but I, it yeah. took a while for him to, to get it smoothly and properly to where I have to check each one since he does my lock and detent and I finally tune it. But I'll have to, I would watch him do it. It doesn't flip and I'll grab him like, no, this is a perfect detent. Right, right. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's something about it. You had, like, I had a tough friend of mine who's never held anything but like a, a Gerber or whatever. Yeah. Or something basic. That they have issues flipping it too. Like, how do I open this? I'm like, just down. Let's fucking do it. Guys. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. But there's something about the mechanics of how their hands move and how they think it's yeah, be. and I you know i I've picked up some knives uh just walking around a show or whatever, and um I couldn't flip them and i and I started looking at them, I'm going, why can't I do this and you know you you use both hands so you can feel the detent and I go, well, the detent's not all that hard, I mean it's not like it's a bank vault and then then you stop and and you look at it and you're going, well, they're flipper tab is too far back and it just you know the geometry of it all just kind of ruins the whole thing and i've seen that a lot on knives uh in fact um well, another knife maker that um wanted me to help him via the phone uh to make um a flipper his first flipper what do i need to do blah 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 and i said well best thing I can tell you is to make sure the front of the flipper is at least past, just past halfway of the pivot towards the front of the knife. If you get it too far back, you're not going to be able to flip it. I don't care what you do, unless you use your wrist or your hand or whatever, but just to hold the knife and move your, you know, your finger ain't going to work. And sure enough, that's what he did. And he posted it and I could see the only way he could open it was if he flipped his wrist. And to me, that's not a good flipper. If I can't hold the knife in my hand, and not move anything but my finger and have it open, then there's something wrong there. I mean, the geometry or bad detent or whatever. But if I got to flick my wrist to open it, I don't consider that a very good flipper. No, not, just me, not, not in the traditional sense. It, sh- it, yeah. should, uh, it should launch itself. Yep, that's the way I look at it. I- ideally, that's, that's how it should work. Um, yeah, flippers, flippers are a strange thing. Uh, but, you know, that's why... Uh, that's why switchblades are great, man. And, just, and who would know, have thought? Who would have thought that. flippers would have lasted this long? I don't know. I mean, it blows my mind. <laughs> really. In fact, I you know, I used to do the Pasadena show until it quit, and I only did it uh, because I liked the people that put the show on. It wasn't at the very very beginning when I started. I started doing that show in two thousand. Um, Right before I got my journeyman, that was the first time I did that show. I went down there the year before that. Marcy and I went down there just to take a little time off and go to the show. We'd heard about it. And I met Bob Loveless. I met 
Oh, God, I can't remember all. I mean, big time makers. I mean, they were all at that show. Uh, the Holder used to do that show. Uh, holy moly, Bob Lum did that show. Uh, it was just a neat show. Uh, when I started making flippers about, I don't know, eight years ago, had a couple at the Pasadena show. And a guy that was a club member came up to the table, was playing with my knives, was looking at him. And he goes, do you know, I can't even remember his name. Do you know Joe Blow? I go, no, I don't know. I never met him. He was making these 15 years ago. I go, you're kidding me. He goes, nope. He goes, that's the first flipper I ever saw. He goes, huh, ain't that something? I mean, he was no longer around, but it just... You know, I don't even know why I bring that up. It just kind of amazed me because at the time I thought Flipper was the new thing and holy shit, nobody's ever done this before and, you know, kind of thing. I mean, it's always, you know, we, we, we do sort of chat about that a little bit, but history, you know, which is certainly one of the reasons I'm doing this is, is history is important. And in the knife industry, history is one of those things that just doesn't get enough credit. And then you get a lot of a lot of people who just on the Instagram, especially they get on there and they claim something which is somewhat baseless, having no concept that something that is yeah. pre-existing for so long. You know, you get yep. you get people who just forget, you know, like, mm-hmm. no, like that, you know, that really is a lum folder or, or you know, perhaps lum yeah, got right. inspired from something else. But you know what? Lum brought it into the light and popularized it. And so it's a lum folder like you didn't. Right design it <coughs> but you know it's that's just how it is yep absolutely you know? i mean there's i don't know any of the students i tell them i just say hey, look if there's only one straight line and there's only one curved line that's what you do with them that's important so yeah, there you go i mean you know that's that's all there is there isn't any more you know right um and, yeah and you can see people's in you can you know I've got, I don't know how many damn knife books I got. When I first started doing this, I bought every damn knife book I could get my hands on. And uh, you can see, uh, if you pay attention, influences that other makers have or have had, whether through uh, visually seeing something and going, oh, man, that's fucking cool. And then they tweak it a little bit and put it into their stuff. But if you pay really close attention, you can kind of, you can kind of get your little history line there, what's going on, you know. Uh, and it's important. I think you're right, Jeremiah. I, I don't. Uh, it, it's moving. It's moving so fast. It really is. Uh, in fact, uh, I was having this discussion with another maker friend of mine, I don't know, six, seven months ago. And we were talking about the knives that are coming, being brought to USN now and California show. And I go, these are the knives that I was making 20 years ago in the ABS. (laughs) I mean, it is. I mean, and then eight, nine years ago, it's like, okay, let's do all gray blasted flippers. (laughs) And that's all you could see. And it's like, and then the guys that are making these gray blasts, blasted flippers about two years ago or three years. Hey, you know, the sales are starting to slow down. Maybe if I'll put 
uh, a bolster on this thing. Or maybe if I do this, or maybe if I, and it's like, holy yeah. shit, this was, I was doing this 20 years ago. Yeah. So I'm back making ABS knives. Yeah, <laughs> so. It's weird how it's, it's very weird how some of that is cyclical. You know, Chuck and I do talk about that. It's the same idea. It's like some of this stuff, it just keeps coming and going. And then other stuff, you look at it and you're like, I don't know how that lasted as long as it did. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just can't figure it out. But, you know, tastes come and they, and they go. And, um, you know, I think automatics were, were coming into, I think we're, we've slowly been really embracing automatics in the last two or three years. It's really ramping up to like mm-hmm. a, a fervor almost where, you know, I look out there and I see more, more California and midsize automatics than I've ever seen before from big companies, right. from big, like people, oh, yeah. people are looking to get into knives that they're unfamiliar with. And they are looking to get mechanical with it. You know, they're looking right. for something different. Um, yep. And I, I mean, I think I it's agree. great, obviously, because I mean, I first of all, I love switchblades, um, and I and I think it's great to to switch it up. You know, that's just how it is. But exactly that, like, it's funny how you look back and you're just like, man, this is, it's just Ouroboros all over again. It's just the snake right, is just right. like it's just coming full circle on that stuff. Yeah. You know? You know, and I think I might be wrong here, but I, I think that the one particular knife that has had, that has, still has the biggest ups and downs is the slip joint. I don't know how many highs and lows I've seen in my 25 years of the slip joint. You know, it'll, in the past, it was like it was hot for maybe a year, year and a half. Then it started to go down, you know, and the and then it come back up. Now it's kind of been on a, a high here for quite a while, uh, longer than I thought it would be. Uh, the problem with, you know, it's like, and this is a, and I'll tell a little story on me too. When I, when I, especially when I was in the ABS. Uh, well, I'm still in the ABS, but while I'm still in the ABS knife making mode of those types of knives, um, fancy, I call them. Uh, it was when I finally, I always felt like I was chasing a rainbow and, uh, I, I don't know who I can, I, I can't remember who, but they said you and it wasn't Hancock; it was somebody else. And they said, "You can't, you can't do that. You just got to make what you want to make." And as, when I heard that the first time, because it was like, take the slip joint. Okay, the slip joint was on the rise. By the time I got geared up and started, you know, having my clients and customers, oh, hey, Vanino's making slip joints. Well, they were back on the downside. You know, so it's like I was always chasing something. And when I can't, well, I, wish, I don't know why I'm blocking that. Uh, anyway, said, you know, you just got to build what you, you know, you want to build. And, you know, it's kind of like the, what was the Costner store? You build it and they'll come. The ball diamond. It's kind of like, you know, start building the stuff you want to build and your collectors will come. And that's what I've done since then. But uh, I, I pay attention to, to, uh, you know, the trends and what's going on. And, um, in fact, <laughs> another, it's a bit pretty big time purveyor. Uh, I can remember when the USN show started, I just moved into the house that I'm in now. 
uh, 12 years ago or whatever the hell it was. Couple days. I called him up. He was buying a lot of light and Baba was buying a lot of my knives, a lot of my P38s, as a matter of fact. And I go, Hey, what do you know about this new show that they're going to have in Vegas? He goes, you don't want to do that. I go, why not? He goes, it's not your kind of show. I go, why not? He goes, it's all tactical stuff. I go, what do you mean tactical? What's tactical? He goes, it's all going to be just down and dirty, you know, titanium and blades, you know, whatever. And so I go, yeah, okay. Because I was still making what I call ABS knives. All pretty shit. Well, so two years went by. And I'm, and I keep hearing what people are saying about the Vegas show and the excitement around the Vegas show. And I told my wife, I said, "Screw what he says. We're going to do the Vegas show." And this is no, this is no shit. She'll, she'll attest to this. Uh, so that was uh, when we do that eight years ago, nine years ago, whatever. Uh, we've missed the first two shows. However long ago that was, uh, the Blade show was starting to get a little scrungy. Uh, the ABS was kind of, this was before forged and fire. Everything was just kind of getting blah, blah, blah. We weren't all that happy. I mean, whatever. We Mm. went to the Vegas show and it was like a brand new universe. We, it, it was, Yeah. we walked in there. The customers were so excited. The people coming in the door were so excited to be in there. I mean, you could just feel it. It was like electric. I mean, and we're talking to you, holy shit, what is this? I mean, it was cool. I mean, uh, the first two or three, four years, it was like fucking awesome shows. I mean, just awesome. (laughs) It's like, holy crap, where in the hell, you know, why didn't I do this from the very beginning? But now it's starting to get kind of, I, you know, I'm starting to have mixed feelings about the USN show now. But, and I don't know if it's because everybody's starting to make ABS knives or or what but i mean i every year i can just see it all the knives start the guys that were making the the big badass flippers and shit they're starting to make pretty knives again you know it's like crazy i don't know it's just me uh it could be multiple things i i know the we've all gotten real real hooked on on the materials you know that's that's a whole other that's a whole other game is dressing up a tactical folder with you know Mokotai and Damascus till it's it's mm-hmm. something else. I don't know. It falls into some other weird category of like a high end art tactical folding thing. Right. I, I don't know. Uh, it, I don't know. Well, it, it's all you know. Like we talked about, it's all it's a come and go with uh, with styles and and, and tastes. Right. You know, either the collectors are following the makers or the makers are trying to figure out what the collectors want or uh, I don't know some other weirdness in between. But the USN show is a great show. I was bummed yeah, to no, and I'm not going to stop and, doing it. It's just kind know. of feeling. I want to ask you guys a question. Sure. Uh, uh, seems to me, oh, maybe in the last, and I'm thinking Chinese, the last four years or five years, the advent of factory knives, Italian, Chinese, whatever, started really kicking in and I don't know what it would have done this year had the COVID not hit us, but, um, I don't know. I mean, I've dealt with the Chinese. I get made knives made by the Chinese. I care what anybody says. They make the finest factory knife on this planet. 
and I can prove it to anybody that wants to pay attention to me. But that's beside the point. Uh, the question is, no matter how much our buyers are into factory knives or semi-custom, my, my feeling, my thought, and where I am standing my ground, I think the handmade knife will never go away. I think there will always be, that will always be there. There's something special about a custom handmade knife. You guys agree or not? No, definitely. It has a, it's, a, it's its own territory. At the end of the day, a lot of guys asked me, why do you make knives? And I was like, honestly, it wasn't even for my love of knives. It was my love for handmade items. It's, a, it's an entirely different product and category of, of it in itself. Yeah, I don't think I don't think the custom market's going to go anywhere. I I do talk a lot with people about the production Chinese market and I just I think the oh boy. It's tough to make friends not make friends on this one, but I don't I think that I think the part of the market that they're coming for is not the part of the market that is going to affect the custom part. I mean, whether or oh not, no, not at all. Yeah, absolutely not yeah. at all. I, I My customs, yeah, yeah. It, no, I, I agree handmaids, with that. Handmaids are are safe. Custom knives will always be an American tradition with an unstoppable collector base and and fan base. I mean, we we all, you know, built this this industry, and I don't think it's going anywhere. Factory knives, yeah. If mm-hmm. I was a factory knife company, I might be worried, but. uh Especially, well, you, you know, know I, th- I don't think so. I think we're good. I think about that. So you think about the impact that the factory knife, whether they're Italians or Chinese or wherever the hell they're coming from here in America, you know, what's their price range? You know, a uh, hundred bucks to 300 bucks or 350 bucks. And the higher end ones that are really well made. I mean, I can't. I'll just take a little slip joint that we have made in China. I can't make that slip joint and sell it for what they sell it for. I mean, I just can't do it. It's fucking perfect. Excuse my language. There is absolutely nothing wrong with it. And I I mean, because of the way they make it, all their parts are wired out. Then they're put on a CNC. I can take 20 of their knives, take them all apart, scramble up all the parts, pick the parts up, pick the parts up, put the knives back together and they're all the same. I can't do that. There's no way in hell I can do that. I don't have a CNC, I don't have a wire machine. It's my hands, my grinder and a, a 50 uh 70-year-old mill. And so I can't I can't compete that. And I can't I guess what I'm saying is I can't I can't make a slip joint and sell it for 200 bucks and compete with that. So what do I have to do? I got to do something to that slip joint of my slip joint to make it a six or $700 knife. I use Damascus blade, Damascus bolsters, do some engraving, blah, blah, blah. And that's, um, so I, I guess what I'm saying is the really good factory stuff is taken up. They, they put their, they've put their stamp on the 350 and below knives and I, unless 
unless you're some kind of machine or something, or you got your own CNC and your own wire and own shit in your shop, then you can do it. But the regular handmade guy, I don't think we can do that. But I'm not talking. I guess I'm still agreeing with you guys is that, um, My customers know that if they want a single-bladed slip joint from me, it's going to cost them a minimum of 600 bucks. But they know it's made from me from the ground up, you know. And I guess they're willing to pay, for, and they're going to pay for that, as opposed to a factory knife that's probably made just a little bit cleaner. I don't know. I mean, it, it boggles my mind. It really does to look at these knives and go, how in the hell are they doing this? It's crazy. It really is. It just boggles my mind. Well, they've definitely raised the bar at the price point that they're at compared to where knives were 10 years ago. Oh, absolutely. But, I agree 100%. But the advantage of being a custom maker is someone can come to you and say, I want a one-off. You can't go to a, yep. a factory and get a one-off. Nope. And that's, yep. And that's, yeah, that's the good thing for us. <laughs> it's like, and I get those requests, you know, I, I want, I really like that knife, but I want this, this, and this. Yeah, sure. Okay. Unless it's nickel silver and then it ain't going to happen. But. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's that full circle that I was talking about. Absolutely. There we go. <laughs> so the, one of the other big topics that uh, I want to talk to you about was um was the terrain three sixty five project? Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us how that sort of matured. Tell us how how you got involved with the with that. So we'll go back to uh, just to get a handle on all this. Back to when I took my first forging class from Carl Sharon in Sebastopol. Uh, he, his his thing was. I don't get it, but his thing was to forge every type of steel out there that could be used for a knife. I mean, that was just his thing. I mean, he had a list. Steels I'd never heard of. I still have never heard of them, but he's forged them into knives. Anyway, we got to talking about, and and I, I'd asked him uh, about forging, and is there any books that I could get or how to make that would help me, you know, down the road? And he goes, you need to buy this book. It's by David Boy. Uh, he goes, uh, he was in California. He moved to Arizona, afraid of earthquakes or some crazy shit. Anyway, he goes, uh, he's been around, been doing it a long time. I've worked with him. We've, we were friends. And he's doing something really kind of exciting, I think. He's using, he's making knives out of dendritic cobalt. And they go, really? What is dendritic cobalt? He tried to explain it to me. I didn't get it, but it stuck in my head because it was a cast product. And he goes, what's neat about it is it doesn't rust, it's non-magnetic, and it stays sharper than shit for the longest time. I go, huh, that's kind of clever. Uh, how do you, I didn't know, I, we didn't go much further than that, but it stuck in my brain. Uh, so and that was 25 years ago, 26 years ago. So I looked at, I bought David Boy's book. He goes into a little bit of his, his dendritic cobalt and what it does and this and that. Uh, and it always, uh, it, it always intrigued me. Uh, and I knew about cobalt drill bits and that kind of stuff, but I'd never heard of dendritic cobalt before. And so I don't know. 
<sighs> seven years ago, eight years ago, uh, I was rooting around on my my table, my desk, my shop, and I came across his book. And I just picked it up and go, holy shit. I haven't seen that for a while. Thumbing through it. Didn't dread it cobalt. So I got on the internet and I Googled his name and got on his website and went about the knives he's making, the tests he did. Uh, he, he, I guess he still does, owns the Guinness World Book of Record for the number of cuts before you had to resharpen a knife. And he used dendritic cobalt. I go, man, this is fucking cool shit. So I, so I called him up out of the blue, told him who I was, where I was, what can you tell me about this stuff? What do I need to do? And he goes, well, it's cast. And I go, okay. He goes, so you got to get a mold. And I go, how do you do that? And he goes, they're pretty expensive. And I go, like what? And he goes, oh, I don't know, four to 6,000 bucks, depending on what your blade shape is. I'm going, okie dokie. We talked a little bit longer, hung up the phone. I'm going, well, that's kind of out of my bailiwick for right now. I can't afford $6,000 for a mold. Uh, a couple of years go by. I got to rethinking about it. I drew up a knife that I really liked. I'm going, this would be kind of cool as a dendritic cobalt knife. It was kind of like a dive knife kind of thing. So I got on the, back on the Internet, and I started uh, uh, searching for foundries in the United States that poured dendritic cobalt. And I ran across uh, an outfit back in New York, called them, told them what I was doing. I said, send me the drawing, send them the drawing. Uh, guy gets calls me back in a couple of weeks. Yeah, nice project. I mean, how many thousands of these you're wanting to do? I'm like, wait a minute, how many thousands of what am I? I no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm just a one-man operation here. Because, <laughs> well, I don't think there's enough production there for us to get involved in. Yeah, okay, cool. So I kind of put it on the back burner again. Oh, I don't know, six, seven months later, a lady calls me uh, from this company, this uh, casting company, told me who she was. We were going through past stuff, blah, 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 ran across your name, what you're wanting to do. Are you still interested? I go, yeah. The problem is... uh, I don't have a mold. I have no idea where to get a mold. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, we work with, we have a mold maker overseas. Didn't tell me where. I'm guessing China or Taiwan. That'd be my guess. They wouldn't tell me. I said, okay, how much? And she goes, I think it was like 2,500 or 3,000 bucks. And I'm thinking, I could swing that. So, get it made. Uh, They ran off, uh, I don't know, four or five. In fact, I've still got them, four or five samples. I said, yeah, that's good. This is really a long story. I'll try to shorten it up. Anyway, uh, it ended up that whoever was pouring the knives over there decided they didn't want to do them because there wasn't enough volume. I was wanting to do 50 at a time. And so anyway, I brought it back over here, uh, found a company in L.A., a foundry in L.A. that would do it. I had two more molds made, blah, 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 started doing those. In the meantime, uh, and I've known Patrick Ma, ever, he was the first person to ever buy multiple of my knives, and that was at the Oregon show, the first Oregon show that I did. 
Patrick stopped by my table. I had a bunch of P38s on the table because I really love that knife because it's right up his alley. He loves spear point knives. If you ever looked at his stuff, I mean, I mean, he goes, I love that knife. He goes, I want some. I go, how many you want? He goes, oh, oh I'll take five. I'm going, I was flabbergasted. Nobody. Like, I was I, I was going, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> Absolutely. You and so it, that's buddy. how I met Patrick. And we became really good friends over the years. Uh, hmm. And I, I did a bunch of runs for him. Uh, Dunch, uh, when he was with Triple Lot, I did two or three Triple Lot runs and whatever. Hmm. So uh, let's see. Let me back so up you, here. So we you did a, um, you did a Dauntless. I did, when, yep. When sure he did. was with, yep. with Tad. Okay. Yep. Sure did. Okay. I did That's a couple of them, cool. I think. And then I did another. Then I did another run. What the hell knife was that one? It had a it had a a fixed blade and a folder with it. Yeah, but anyway, so <clears throat> about. Let's see, we got our LLC in 2018. It must have been 2017. Yeah, 2017. I ran into him at the USN show. And I started telling him about this Dendretti Cobalt. Explained to him what it was. And he goes, huh, that sounds kind of cool. Because he's the outdoors guy. I, all his shit's all about the outdoors. I mean, that period. I go, what's neat about this shit, Patrick, is that it's non-magnetic and it won't rust. Ever. You can throw it in the ocean, come back a year later, pick it up, rinse it off, and it's just like it was. Really? I go, yeah. And so he goes, eh, oh, holy crap, that's pretty interesting. Blah, blah, blah. We talked that whole weekend. I don't know, a couple of weeks later, he calls me up. He goes, you know, I've been thinking about that. He goes, let's do something with it. And I go, really? He goes, yeah, let's start a company or something. Uh, let's do this. I go, yeah, okay. So it took us, I don't know, a year year to get everything ironed out, what we were going to do, get some drawings, where we're going to get it made, that shit. So we got our LLC in 2018. And the first folder we did was the Otter, a slip joint uh, with dendritic cobalt blade. Uh, and then we did the Invictus. Um, and we've done the STS. So we've got, I don't know, four or five other designs in the works. In the meantime, I did the straight blades of the molds that I had made. Um, so that's kind of when, uh, I'm trying to think of where my, when I met you, Jeremiah. Uh, let me think. Uh, so. Cause we yacked about yeah, switch blades. Right. Um, I'm trying to think we probably, we met up in there somewhere because I think the first, I remember coming across, terrain probably through a design and then you and i met at a show right and i'm and kind of thinking we it's halfway getting, through 18 or something that, something I, like that I, that sounds right because it was real it, it was relatively early in the terrain saga because right. it was it was i think i want to say it was the ballet song before yeah, it was the, the ballet Invictus. song is the first one you bought yeah. yeah the ballet song was the first one that you bought that that smaller uh, ballet and, song, and i thank I you so like, much for that cool. because Absolutely. it was you go, I want X amount of these. I go, oh, yeah. no shit. <laughs> Jeremiah's my new best friend. I was, BFF. That, absolutely. Like, that's, <laughs> so, that, that design so then we, we is started so talk, cool. You know, yeah, then great. we started talking about autos. And uh, the actually, the first one I was going to do for you was going to be a scale release. But that kind of got put on hold for a, a number of reasons. But I'm hopefully next year I'm going to uh, bring it back to life. Uh and I said, well, how about doing my T38? And he goes, yeah, sure. Send him a picture of it. Yeah, it looks fucking cool. So it took me 
gosh, I don't know, eight months or so to finally get a prototype. Okay, the prototype, it's now in production. I'm hoping we're going to get it by the end of November. Uh, but the prototype they sent me, there was a couple of tweaks they had to do, had to make the spring a little bit stronger. Um, a couple of other just really, really minor things. But you're going to love this knife. It's so cool. It's scary. It's really cool. But it's got a dendritic blade. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited about this. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, man. The, the whole – so I'm totally for it because I think the whole terrain project is so neat. It's got great branding. You know, you've got you and Patrick behind it. You know, you guys have come together, and it, it really – I, I don't know I it for some I just dig it man it's like it's a great outdoorsy sort of offshoot from the whole Prometheus Tad thing right and, right and the people that I see buying these knives are a lot of the time actually people who are using them like when we had the Invictus folder in we got a huge amount of we got actually more response from our customers talking about using that Invictus than we did for a lot of other knives. And I don't know huh. if, I don't know if that's the knife. I don't know if that's terrain. I don't know if that's Patrick. I don't know if that's yeah, you, but yeah. it's just like that, that form factor. People just, it's, they respond to it. And they're like, yeah, actually I went out and took it camping and I loved it. Like it was great. I was yeah, like, yeah. Oh, well, that's really good to hear, man. Like that's awesome. Yeah. And you know, it's Dendritic Cole. In fact, um, I could look up that you guys probably know him or know of him. Uh, in fact, I just ran across this yesterday. I'll pull up his thingy here in a minute. Uh, Slicey Dicey 75, you know him, who that is? He did, uh, he's got an STS that he did a review on. Really liked it. He goes, but I don't know what, he goes, I really like it. Uh, I'm not too sure I know all about dendritic cobalt. But he goes, it's a loner, and I've used it as much as I, I don't want to mess saying it, but blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he had a, four or five guys got on there and said, yeah, but how do you resharpen it and this and that? And so my wife, Marcy's been after me forever to do a video on how to resharpen this stuff. Dendritic, oh, it's not a, not a bad idea. Dendritic cobalt's kind of neat stuff. It's, what, it's where stellite and talonite comes from. And so... Uh, any steel that can be cast in the cast state, it's in a dendritic state. Dendritic is Latin for tree-like. So all the carbides in the dendritic state are all kind of linked together. So when you form an edge, you've basically formed a carbide edge. That's why it cuts so great and so long. You've got to, It takes forever to wear down carbide. Carbide is like what? 89, 90, whatever the hell it is on the Rockwell. Uh, but it does wear down because it's so tiny in the knife edge. And it's supported by the cobalt matrix. When they make uh, stellite, uh, they take that cast ingot, they heat it up, and they roll it out. And when they roll it out, it doesn't destroy, it doesn't, it separates. I, I want to say break away. I don't want, the idea that it breaks up the carbides. It separates the carbides from one another. They're independently suspended in the cobalt matrix. So when you use, if you've used a stellite blade, all the ones that I've ever seen are the people, you can't whack with it. You can't do, you know, you just got to cut it because if you whack on a piece of wood or whatever, the edge will roll because the cobalt is only about a 45 Rockwell. 
And so what happens is you bend the cobalt over. It doesn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, with the dendritic cobalt, in fact, I've got a video out there, and I don't know where it happened. I sent it to Patrick. I don't know where it went. Anyway, I take and I whack wood and shave the hair on my arm. I mean, it's it's neat stuff because it's it's a it's a it's all it's an all carbide edge, uh, so it's way stronger. Not that the blade is stronger. Uh, that's one of. I don't know, I'd call it a downside, but that's one of the things that you have to know about dendritic cobalt. And I and I think of it in terms of the ABS. You know, you go through the deals, you got to pass it, you got to, you know, shave, cut a two by four, cut a free rein, and then bend the knife 90 degrees without breaking. This, like my dive knife, it's 170 thousandths thick at the spine, comes down to an edge. At about 25 degrees, it'll break. It'll just let go. The amount of torque to get it to 25 degrees is a lot more than on, say, an ABS knife. But it will give out. So you have to know that. It's not a pry bar. It's not a screwdriver. It's not a hammer. It's a cutting tool. And so that's one, that's one thing that a person needs to know when they buy one of these knives, these are cutting tools. They're not, you know, they're not for prying open paint cans. They're not for whatever, because it'll give out. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. But what you gain is how long it will hold its edge. Uh, I mean, it's incredible. It really is. Uh, and what's neat about it is uh, cobalt has a very high lubricity rate, which means that it's very, very slick, and it feels totally different cutting through whatever you're cutting through than it would be a carbon blade or a stainless blade. It just feels different. It feels slicker. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know the right adjective to put on it, but it just feels different. And uh, I go to shows and a guy, you know, Hey, I've got one of your knives, you know, how do I resharpen it? Blah, blah, blah. And this is what I tell everybody. When you think like if you've got a regular stainless blade or a regular carbon blade, and you've been using it, and you feel it, and you go, eh, I think maybe I need to resharpen it. It doesn't feel very sharp. And you'll go ahead and put a new edge on it. You'll feel a cobalt edge, and you'll go, I feel like I need to resharpen this, but you don't. You keep going until it absolutely will not cut, and then you go ahead and put, then freshen the edge. And, and you don't put a burr on it. You can, but you're going to play hell getting that burr off because what you're trying to get off is a, car, a carbide burr, and it doesn't want to let go. So I'm getting ready to do a video. These guys that responded to that post was, you know, how do I do it? Do I do a burst? So I'm going to do a video here in the next week or two and get it posted. So to resharpen one of these or to refresh in the edge is it's only taken, it only takes like one, one to three swipes per side on a hard Arkansas and you kind of feel it. If it feels sharp, it's ready to roll. It, I mean, it, it's neat stuff. <laughs> it really is. So you don't. The more don't I use to, it, the more I like it. You don't have to go after it with your sharp maker for like an hour. It's, it's, it's. You're not. No, no, you're not no, no. Burr it's on like it. you're just moving the edge. You're just nope. Like, you're just all you're doing is, tr and you can feel it. You can hmm. one swipe, you can feel it. Okay, one swipe. Okay, getting close. Do the other side. And, and I test. You know, a lot of guys will. Well, let me back up. All my straight blades, I sharpen here in the shop. All the folders, 
even though the folder steel is made here, they're put together overseas and they come back sharpened and they're sharp. I mean, they're sharp, sharp. But the ones I do over here, I sharpen in my shop the fixed blades and they'll shave the hair on my arm. Uh, but that's not, to me, is not a great test. I then have used leather strips around and cardboard. And what's kind of really cool, I noticed this when I first started jacking with it. I'd cut a couple of times in, you know, like the 316s or the thicker cardboard, the heavier duty cardboard. And it was kind of like I had to put a little effort into it to get it to go. But after about the third time or something, it just kind of like zipped through it. And I don't, I don't know if it refined the edge. I don't know what it did, but it was like, holy crap. It was almost like the more I used it, the sharper it got. And then it just, and so my test for me, just, just as for me, not for anybody else, but for my test on how sharp a knife is, if I can, if I can cut through a piece of leather, like it's, you know, just, I mean, pretty sharp. Well, I mean, why do you, look at, if you want something that's going to shave your hair or shave your beard, go buy a razor, hmm. you know? I mean, that's the way I think about it. If you want, you, if you want something that's going to, uh, whack down a tree or something go buy an axe if you want you know what i'm saying i guess every sure. knife has got its own little it's designed for whatever it's supposed to do so i don't know i'm you know, starting it, to ramble here it, it, <laughs> it, it, it comes down to you know probably thickness behind the edge and maintainable edge right like uh yep an axe doesn't have to be a razor because it's a nice fat edge it's designed to just chop things a knife yep. is meant for just simple cutting tasks so just Correct. to be clear cobalt or not cobalt all the listeners please don't use your knives as pry bars whether it's whether absolutely it, whatever none the heck, of that stuff. yeah like whatever the heck steel it is don't it doesn't don't do that it's not necessary. yeah don't do that like, yeah don't it's do a that. knife no. cut things with it don't pry things with it don't baton yeah. with it or do yeah. but don't pretend like it's what it's used for so absolutely thank you for saying that I yeah appreciate every that, every tool has has a job you know yeah it's a knife is a a pocket knife is meant for everyday cutting tasks, you know. A dive knife is meant to dive, so expect a different, yep. you know, thing out of it. That's totally fine. Um, so, what's the what's the name of the cobalt that you guys use? Teravantium. Bam! There it is. I love Teravantium. That. Great yep. name. Lo- love yep, that thanks. name. Uh, yep. So what's what's coming down? What's coming down the chute? I know I just got okay. the the STS which t- tell us a yep. little bit about that i think that's a really okay. cool design inspiration yep so uh we okay we've had problems i say i'd say problem that's kind of a negative but um oh man so here's how the process works for our folding knives i have i've me and another fella made our mold for our bar stock. So I have the bar stock made here in the United States. I send the bar stock overseas and then they cut the blades out of them. That goes through that process. We get the knives. Okay. So let me tell you how it is crazy. I mean, the logistics of this is I, if I had hair, I'd be pulling it out. So if I call my foundry and say, okay, I want to order 200 bars. I'm looking at, two to three months before I get those bars. I get those bars. I send them overseas. That takes at least a week. Then I have to get into that manufacturer's queue. And that's 45 to 65 days. So what's that total? It's almost six months. 
So our problem has been the logistics of keeping knives in the pipeline. So with the STS, uh, we just went through our first run. Uh, we're trying to get, there's some, they didn't get them all finished. Uh, they just got some more bar stock in the meantime. Uh, we just, and you're the first to know, we just got our Invictus AT. I haven't even unpacked them yet. Um, and it's going to be an Invictus with, uh, G10 on one side and titanium for the lock side. Uh, and we'll probably, I got to get them sent up to Patrick so he can take pictures of them so we can get them ready to post. And so we're probably a week away from releasing those, but just to give you a heads up, Jeremiah, I'll be, you know, we'll figure out something for, for you. Heck yeah. Um, so then we're going to have, um, I think the neck and now I'm waiting for bars, uh, supposed to get bars at the end of October to send back, send overseas. Cause I think the next one we're going to do is our Invictus. I uh, get so caught up in all these little, uh, it's going to be a smaller version. I forget the, the Invictus. What the hell is it? Anyway, it's a smaller mm-hmm. version. Okay. It's about, I don't know, a half inch smaller, quarter of an inch smaller. Uh, then we're going to get the P38. Uh, we've got a uh, dog tag knife coming. Uh, cute little bugger. Uh, and then Patrick and I, we were just talking the other day, we got to get together and, and plan out what we're going to put in line for next year. But uh, We'll have more of the STS, more of the Invictus, probably end up doing some more. Oh, we've got another slip joint. Uh, the Cayman turned out really nice. It's kind of a clip point, clip point, slip blade, slip joint. Um, so I don't know. We've got about three or four more models that we want to bring out next year. We just got to decide which ones we want to do and when. I mean, I, I think that that's pretty exciting. The STS has been great. It's like, uh, it's a loveless inspired shoot knife folding esque profile. Yeah. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Customers really like it. It's a good-looking knife. It's got a great profile. Um, and, a, again, I think a lot of these designs and the materials used flow well with the brand. They're lightweight. They're rust-proof. You know, it. they are – a lot of these are frame locks. But you know what? It Again, it falls into, you know, knife use, what the knife is going to be used for. Right, right. Which I think is important. You know, it's not just mm-hmm. using materials nonsensically like – a full G10 face and titanium lock side lightens the knife while still making it strong. So, right. I mean, I'm I'm pumped to see what what terrain has coming down the chute. Um, I'm lucky enough to privilege to be dealing with you directly. So, you know, I get I get first dibs because I will tell you, one of those Invictus ATs is going right in my pocket. Like that's <laughs> I've, I'm a huge Invictus and Dauntless fan. So, I mean, that's totally yeah. it's not automatic, yeah. but. I think yeah. it looks great. You know? you know, that might be a project that we can work on down the road. You know, See? we've talked about that once before coming up with something that's just a PVK thing. Yeah. So that might be something to think about. Well, we'll work uh, on and, it. And Victus <laughs> Auto. That'd be kind of cool, huh? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's, I think the, you and Patrick are definitely, I think this year and, and definitely next year as things settle down, I think it's going to be great. I, I think it's uh good, good things to come, man. For sure i'm hoping so i'm hoping so we've uh yeah yeah uh 
Yeah, we've got a three-year plan, and so far we're kind of sticking to it. It's just I, we just got to get the logistics figured out, and once we get that ironed out, I think we're up and running. So nice. Okay. Well, and I this might be speaking out of school, but I think I talked to you or mentioned it to you. We might. There is a slim possibility mm. that we might be introducing an SM100. So. Oh, you mentioned that. Okay, all yeah. right. So throw, but throw to the mix. That's, that's down the road. So, right. But I, you know, again, another non-magnetic, uh, rust-proof kind of oh, like that a full people one? people. Yeah, I think people know more about S. It's kind of strange. Well, I don't guess it's strange. Know more a little bit more about SM100 than they do dendritic cobalt. So, mm. yeah. Uh, but I, I, I tell you, it's a t- it, them industry, and no one knows what that cobalt is except for the few that use it. Yeah. 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 And there's a few guys. David Boy's still making his knives. He's got his own little niche, uh, not doing anything like what we're doing. There's a couple other guys. I don't know that were friends of his in Arizona that were um, doing cast knives. I don't know if they're still doing them or not. But I kind of think I'm pretty sure we're the only that that ter, uh, terrain is the only one in in the world that's making knives like this. So. Mm. That I know of. I mean, I don't. I don't think. Yeah, not right. Exactly. No, nobody else that I know of is is doing it yeah, like this. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm excited about it. I think it's kind of cool. See, you know, <laughs> Kick, kicking ass and taking names all the way into Ab- 2021, man. That's Absolutely, that's what we want to do for sure. <laughs> um, it, you know, most of the time, there are things that that get overlooked or underlooked. Michael, you tell me, how, how are we doing? Did we, did we cover most of the, uh, most of the highlights tonight? I think so. You know, and when I talked to you earlier, I thought you told me, Oh, about 90 minutes. I go in 90 minutes. I just looked at my clock. It's, <laughs> it's over 90 minutes. I'm it, going, Holy shit. Where'd like the time that. go? It goes. Yeah. Like that, you, know? <laughs> you get rolling. Yeah, no, no. I, you know, uh, you know, yeah. the, we kind of hit the high points. Um, nice. uh, I, uh, I like tea, you know, I, just to throw this out there, if anybody's listening, I enjoy my, my degree, whatever that's worth from college, it was art and education. I love teaching. I always kind of thought in the back of my mind that that's what I'd be the rest of my life. So I, I really dig teaching knife, knife making. I mean, I just, um, I don't do as much of it as I used to. Uh, but I still have a few students that come by, and I, I just, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to say I love it more than actually making the knife, but it's damn close. Um, I just, and I, and I really get excited about, you know, I've had students that, yeah, I want to learn how to make a knife, and you can kind of tell halfway through the process that, yeah, this isn't really, you know, they're going to take this class, and they'll probably never make another knife. And then you have a student that, you can't tell them enough information fast enough. I mean, it's like they're a sponge that's just waiting to explode and they just can't wait for the next whatever. And those are the ones that get me excited, you know, and, and I, and I always think of it in terms of if I can help somebody get going and teach them and they end up being a better knife maker than me, then I've done a pretty good job. So it's kind of the way I figure it. Right on, man. I think that's, I think that's an excellent way to look at it. I think, uh, I think that information is a constantly evolving and, and flowing thing and that 
we're only holding on to this information for so long. It doesn't belong to us. We're just imparting it into others. And what they mm-hmm. do with it is that's that's their thing. So someone yeah, taught right. you and you did amazing things with it. If you can pass that knowledge on to somebody else and they do amazing things with it, that is the destination and point of the knowledge. Which Absolutely. is just to continue infecting people's minds with awesomeness. Yep. Because the bottom line is there is no secrets in this. <laughs> there there are none. Mm-hmm. I don't care what anybody tells you. See? You know, somebody somewhere else has done it. <laughs> it, it can be but, figured out. Yeah, absolutely. Right on. Um, well, okay, that's a great... Uh, what, what's the best place that uh, people can follow your work or, or, or get in touch okay, with so you? Okay, so Terrain is... Uh, our website is terrain365.com. Uh, my website is mvknives.com however it's down it's being redone and it's just another time crunch i'm hoping we'll get it done here pretty quick but so you'll just get a page under construction if you go there so just remember it jot it down somewhere in a couple of months go back and visit me but Man. uh you can always you can always email me mike at mvknives.com or mike at terrain365.com uh, more than happy to hear it from anybody. I'll talk to anybody. I'll answer everybody, every email. So it's not like, you know, you won't, you won't send an email and not get a response. So I'm on Instagram and I'm on uh, Facebook. Nice. See that? It, it, if you've got questions, forward them. They're going to get Absolutely. answered. They're gonna Absolutely. They're going to get answered. I'll do it the best I can anyway. Badass. Well, hey, man, I, I really want to thank you for taking time tonight and jumping on here and, and talking about knives and, and switchblades and folders and straight knives and dendritic cobalt. It's It's been a blast. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing. I love this. I, I really did. You know, at first it was like I did one of these just, I don't know, four or five years ago. It w- didn't last nearly as long. It was, uh, I can't even remember who it was. It was, he was a knife guy on YouTube. And yeah. I enjoyed it. And yeah. so I'm this one I'm thinking, I was a little nervous because I know you. I didn't know the other guys and I'm going, oh, I don't want to sound like an ass and no. be stupid. And, but, uh, but I tell you what, I, I really enjoyed this. <laughs> I don't know if there was something else we could do a podcast on in another six months. Call me. We'll do another one on something else. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah. But no, this is cool. And I want to, yeah. I, I want to thank you guys. I really do appreciate it. I really do. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure to, to get on and get on here and, uh, and, and talk knives, right? That's, that's Absolutely, I love talking knives for sure. Badass. Yeah, That's fun. for Great sure. To hear your story. I wish I was able to intervene more, but unfortunately, these people are fighting outside. And I guess <laughs> they do for a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. New York for you. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Absolutely. Hey. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. This is this is Jeremiah Burbank. I'm I'm thanking everybody for listening to the Bladeology podcast tonight. Uh, I'm I'm going to sign off and. Uh, and we're looking forward to it. Thank, thank you so much, Michael, for for coming on tonight, uh, guys. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you follow me on this one. And this is Nick Chupin of NCC Knives. You can find me at NCC Knives on Instagram or my site nccknives.com. Signing off. And this is Chuck Gudrytis of Gudrytis Knives. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram under Gudrytis Knives. Signing off. Thanks, guys.